0: That's heritageradionetwork dot slash fifteen to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March thirty first. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Springer Mountain Farms, over three hundred family farms raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Learn more at springermountainfarms.com. dot com.
1: Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on tour. We are broadcasting from Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm your host, Katie Mosman-Wadler. I have two co-hosts today. I'm Kat
2: Johnson. And Michael Harlan-Turkel of The Food Scene.
1: And uh, Michael just got into town, so we're really happy to have you jumping in. And we are here now at WP Kitchen and Bar with Chef Stephen Schmidt. Welcome, Stephen.
3: Hi. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks so much for letting us come in today and uh, interview you right in the middle of the dining room. This is really cool.
3: Yeah, of course. Glad you guys uh, were able to make it. Thanks for coming in on Sunday. Of
1: course. It was an absolute pleasure to eat lunch here also um, and get to sample some of the new summer cocktails. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the first the neighborhood that we're in and the design of the space that we're in um, and kind of how that's important to the ethos of the restaurant?
3: Yeah. Um, so this is a uh, South Park, Charlotte, um, kind of a old, uh, you know, I guess, say high end neighborhood of, of Charlotte, not one of the kind of up-and-coming cool neighborhoods but still you know people are here are you know demographic age you know mid to late 30s um definitely people families involved and uh you know being in a somewhat of a shopping complex with apartments we try to make sure that you know we have things to offer families uh also the people who are you know in that millennial time gap of things that are a little more progressive for people who are coming from bigger cities and have called charlotte their home now
1: And um, tell us about your background and how you came to be the chef here at WP Kitchen. Sure.
3: Um, I'm actually one of the few Charlotte natives that you'll probably still find in the city. Um, Went to culinary school here in Charlotte. Spent a lot of time working with the uh, uh, Harper's Restaurant Group um, and a number of their brands uh, within the city. And then kind of my uh, uh, mentor at the time, Scott Wallen, who uh, worked for Wolfgang, many years ago in Vegas. He got the call to help uh, launch this concept, uh, asked me if I wanted to join and we've been here ever since. Uh, He's now um, not with the company back at the other job, but um, uh, so I've been kind of stepping into his shoes and I'm the oversee this restaurant and uh, well as a couple other locations.
1: And uh, WP, importantly for our listeners, stands for Wolfgang Puck. Yes, So this yes. is a Wolfgang Puck concept. It's relatively new, right?
3: It is It is relatively new. So this is one of uh, the three WP Kitchen Bars here, Greensboro, and then uh, Palm Desert, California. Um, this is kind of the flagship. It's the first one that's opened, and really it kind of just pays homage to... Some of the casual things I think it's built as kind of that you Wolfgang would cook for you if uh, you were at his house. So we try to make sure that you get that homey, inviting feeling, a lot of shared food, and just kind of a wide range of dishes from you know his influence being Austrian background to some of his other concepts that are Asian or Italian.
1: Mm -hmm. When did you know, Stephen, that you first wanted to work in food?
3: I would say it was a little. um, college so i actually started out going to unc charlotte here pursuing a you know degree in business and computer science and had worked in restaurants um most of most of my life but had always been in the front of house um i went in for a job interview as a server and they said fine come back and i came back and the job was no longer available so i actually had uh they asked me if i wanted to make salads in the back Sure, at this point, no job, so not no problem. Um, ended up really liking it, really liking the pace of the kitchen, really liking how every day is different. Also that kind of instant gratification of putting something on the plate, having it come together, seeing uh, happy people enjoy food, and, you know, really been pursuing it ever since.
1: That's cool. I feel a lot of empathy with you as somebody who had a science background who's now working in food Uh, And I talk to people a lot about how important it is for the the kind of science and analytical side of things to carry over into dining and the food system as a whole. How does that work for you?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of similarities, especially now with the, you know, science of food being kind of at the forefront of a lot of, you know, leading chefs in the industry. Uh, But then also just the background of, you know, the business side of it and, you know what we all have to do. Numbers are responsible for, um, you know, and that how to run a business and having the background of something outside of food bringing it to here is is definitely helped me. Um, you know, I wouldn't discount it for the world.
1: Uh, I think a question that a lot of us um, and our listeners would love to hear your reaction to is: um, so you've obviously worked with Wolfgang Puck. Um, did you tell us about when you first? knew of him as a chef and then what was going through your mind the first time that you met Wolfgang?
3: Okay so the uh, first time knew him as a I guess I don't really have like a definitive moment you just kind of you just know who he is if you're you're in this industry it's not um, not kind of a moment of revelation but it's definitely uh, you know you know who that is and first time uh, met with him it was kind of exciting to exciting to see really you you hear of you know wolfgang puck and you know he's this big famous guy tons of restaurants super busy you come in you think he's really gonna you know be critical and not you know and be harping on everything attention to detail um and when he came in he was super nice walked up and down the line shook everyone's hand asked them how they were doing obviously checking things along the way he, he's definitely a, a nibbler as we will go through checking making everyone's mise and place making sure it's good but from, you know, his interaction with the staff to we had, um, you know, deliveries come in and he'd say, hey, farmer, how are you? You want some food? You know, we'd you know, stop, cook, uh, just wants to feed everyone, make sure they're happy, get them anything they need. Uh, very outgoing and just kind of the definition of hospitality.
4: How does working in a Wolfgang Puck restaurant, like, influence your menu on a day-to-day basis?
3: You know, there are definitely uh, guidelines that we kind of adhere to, some some standards in terms of, you know, uh, farming practices and sourcing that, you know, are not uncommon to a lot of restaurants, but something that Wolfgang has had in place for, you know, 15 years, making sure, you know, the type of chicken we use, the, you know, type of veal we were to use, uh, we don't really do foie gras, um, you know, a lot of the humanely and locally, you know sourced ingredients so there's that dynamic but then also as in terms of menu dishes they're not all wolfgang dishes and he doesn't want it to be wolfgang dishes um he's at a point in his career where he wants to really make sure that the restaurant is a local restaurant influenced by the local you know people there the palate of the community and you know make sure that we're putting stuff that is you know making people happy not really making him more famous he doesn't you know he's he's kind of grown grown past that so he doesn't need to have the next you know big wolfgang dish it's just you know he wants to make sure that we're putting out good food and that people are enjoying themselves
2: i mean what have become the signature dishes i I was looking at your menu um and it has wiener schnitzel you know the austrian dish that has proliferated all his restaurants so how has wolfgang's personality or kind of like understanding of what people want
3: influence the menu and what signatures have you put on now there's definitely uh the signature like you're saying the, the wiener schnitzel that you know we, we would not get away with taking off um something he you know when he came here tried we made a couple tweaks on it um but uh that was i would say is definitely a wolfgang signature there's also other items like the burrata dish you guys had uh it's a local uh cheesemaker here in charlotte um then things like the brick chicken calabrese, calabrian spiced chicken, um, the trout, which we just did snap peas and buttermilk grown fresh and yuzu. It's kind of a you know somewhat Asian, but then also very you know comfort food with smoked ham and snap peas, and people can identify with that. Um, you know, there's there's probably four signature dishes, and then the rest just kind of change as we as we see fit.
2: I mean, aside from signatures too, yeah, we may have glossed over the chicken in the trout dish a little bit, but it's, it's the quality of product in both those dishes that really make it shine. Sure. can you talk about where that tri- trout comes from and what that chicken represents?
3: Yeah, I mean, trout here in uh, North Carolina is, is a very popular fish. It comes right from the western North Carolina mountains. Um, you know, we get our snap peas local, our asparagus is local, um, the country ham, um, or the smoked ham is produced in Greensboro, actually. Our pepperoni is produced in Greensboro, where our other store is, uh, from Giacomo's. Um, and then, like you said, the brick chicken from Mount Airy, Georgia, the shishitos are from the market, the tomatoes from the market, um, you know, a lot of the items that we don't really have enough real estate on the menu to kind of highlight each and every single farmer, because like I was saying earlier, we have to make sure that we have these items that are appeal to the community and, and masses, and then we also want to have items that are kind of for us and that we want to try to push off on people. So it's it's a, it's a large menu, but there's there, there's enough for everyone, I think.
4: Can you tell me about the – is it the black garlic aioli that we had on two different dishes? That was a highlight for me. Tell us about that.
3: Yeah. Um, you know, black garlic, very, very, you know, umami. It's It's got a great flavor. It pairs very nicely with the octopus. Um, and then, you know, like the locally uh, roasted asparagus also does does well with that. That's something that we've had on since we've uh, opened up is that octopus with the black garlic aioli. One of our most popular things. That's one of the one, – one dish that will probably – not go anywhere, and if it does, it's just going to slightly change, because it is very popular. I feel
2: like you're very lucky to work underneath the umbrella of Wolfgang, not just because of what he represents, but you get to kind of push your envelope with Black Garlic and Naoli, and people trust him and his name that you kind of get to go a little further and let people explore a menu because of that.
3: Agreed. I mean, it it is a catch-22, is that people are, you know, they know the name and they, you know, will have that trust, but at the same time, it's a you know, a lot of pressure on us, because we don't want to you know, break that trust. We don't want to let them down, because there's the, not just reputation of everyone here at the restaurant, but also, you know, the Wolfgang brand, and you know, we have to make sure that we're execution is, is huge, and you know, for most restaurants, that's what everyone says, but here especially.
1: So you are, you're a Charlotte native. You're very familiar with what the, you know, the palate of the neighborhood is accustomed to and what they like. Um, are Have there been any ways that you've kind of tried to push the envelope and then felt like you had to uh, redirect that?
3: There, there certainly are things that, you know, I think you could probably interview every chef and he's got a dish that he knows that he... Likes it's good. He wants to try, and he really just cannot sell it. Um, You know, even something it's not—I wouldn't say pushing the envelope—but we had done a uh, uh, an event a couple weeks ago with the lobster salad that we were put inside of like a squid ink brioche, and um, you know, people come up to us. What is that? Chocolate? I don't know about that. I don't want to eat. I've never in my life had to talk so many people into wanting to try you know lobster salad or you know something yeah, like that it seems so low risk <laughs> it, yeah the, you, we still kind of run into these you know maybe just small circles in the community that were like well, wow, maybe they're, they're not liking that so it's it's definitely kind of a reality check say like, alright well I know I like it but we just just can't put it on because it's not going to be worth the, worth the effort
1: anything where the positive reaction surprised you or really reinforced a dish
3: yeah um, you know we had a uh, coming out of Easter it was, you know, we had some petite fillets and some uh, local uh, crab that we had and we kind of did like an Asian style crab fried rice with a fillet and it was really just kind of a, we had some stuff left over, we wanted to use it, we must have, you know, sold them all in a day and a half and it was very popular and something that didn't require a whole lot of effort and kind of the developmental phase that we're like, oh wow, so people like this, that's put that on the list of things that we now know, so right. it, was, it sold very well, so those things are always good to see as well.
1: We'll chalk that up to a good learning experience. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind
2: of
3: great that we're in this golden age of
2: food in, in the way that people are willing to explore so many cultures and flavor profiles because of, of good quality products and great chefs like you that understand foundation and technique. But what did you eat when you were growing up, and how far from that childhood uh, you know, habit is today's menu?
3: Light years away. Um, as a kid not an adventurous eater not a you know i liked what i liked and that was it you know definitely was one of the growing up at a very young age the fighting with the parents no i'm not eating green beans and no i'm not doing you know squash casserole and stuff like that um to coming in just oh yeah let me try that let me do this and i don't really know the day that it kind of all clicked but it, it did and thankfully it it did and got a little more adventurous um, my parents still to this day are like never would never would have seen this coming not a shot but um yeah so not too many direct childhood influences but it's just you know kind of a growing process um you know from what our what i was then to now
1: we need to take a quick break to have a word from our sponsor and we will be right back in a minute stay with us
0: this episode is brought to you by springer mountain farms over 300 family farmers raising birds in georgia's blue ridge mountains Many of them are second and even third generation. They're committed to doing things the right way. Springer was one of the first poultry companies to forego the use of antibiotics, and they've embraced other humane practices too. In fact, they were the first poultry company to earn the American Humane Association seal of approval. Learn more at springermountainfarms.com.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network on tour, and today we're in Charlotte, North Carolina at WP Kitchen and Bar with Chef Stephen Schmidt. Welcome back. Thank you. Um, I want to just say a quick thanks to our sponsor today. They're Springer Mountain Farms Chicken, and uh, we had a delicious chicken lunch here at the restaurant from them, and um, just uh, take a look at the episode page for a photo of that if you want to get really hungry. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit uh, about the the role of pizza at this restaurant and how it might have changed over time. How important is pizza on the menu today, and is that how it's been throughout the history of the restaurant?
3: It's huge. Um, you know, definitely wanted to actually give you guys a pizza today and something as simple as a margarita to kind of highlight it. So we do a. a it takes a nine days for our dough to fully mature. We put in uh, two different steps of pre uh, fermentation that go into it. Uh, it's a it's a labor of love. We have you know, two full time employees that work with it, um, and it's a uh, definitely an undertaking. Not only just the pizza dough, but also our house made uh, buttermilk brioche uh, buns for our burgers. We make house focaccia for croutons and other sandwiches. So a lot of the yeah, a lot of the house made breads a big project. Um, and for us, the pizza dough is essential. Wolfgang is you know does a lot of pizza. He put kind of Woodstone on the map. Maybe that might be an overstatement, but also not. I mean, he has a Woodstone oven in every one of his restaurants. And before Woodstone was, was huge, you know, he was you know, buying these ovens and kind of working with them to define the, the layout and the size and type. But, yeah, we're, we're very grateful to have the pizza oven because it also allows us to do things in the wood-burning oven. We have natural uh, hickory fire that's in there, and it adds a lot of flavor to a lot of the other dishes that we do.
4: What are some of the other dishes that you cook in the wood-fired oven?
3: Uh, we roast off our uh, chipolinis in there. We will do the brick chicken in there, finish our trout, uh, finish our salmon, um, do a pita bread in there for a hummus appetizer. So there's a lot of different different things to go in there, and it's definitely a busy night. Your pizza guys get a little irritated with you know, four or five guys trying to put their stuff in the <laughs> in the in in their way. But
4: There's a queue for the...
3: Yeah, th- it? Th- th- there's there's a queue for sure. It, you know, <laughs> got to give the look, make sure, get get approval for the real estate in the oven because it's 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 fairly small. And when you know have a lot of pizzas, and then you know somebody's trying to throw a couple chickens and a trout in there, the guys get a little angry. But all all works out in the end.
2: Plus, I mean, I see stacks of to go boxes as well.
3: Yeah. So that adds a, a complexity,
2: but I'm sure the neighborhood loves the fact that they could have your food. It's to go.
3: Yeah, it's great having the, the apartments right behind us. You know, we get tons of tons of to go orders. It's perfectly convenient. Literally, they drive past our patio to enter into to their apartment complex, and it's nothing to, for them to pick up a couple pies. Uh, big holiday events like Super Bowl and things like that, we'll get you know a lot of a lot of that traction as well.
4: So we're gonna be at the. Uh symposium on bread at johnson and wales the next okay. couple days and that's where you went to culinary school correct yes it is um tell us a little bit about that and how that has you know guided your path to becoming a chef
3: um you know i'd actually went to culinary school at uh central piedmont just before johnson and wales um just making sure that i was making the right decision as you know there's a significant cost you know difference between the two but Johnson Wells was good there were a lot of good professors there Um, you know there's a a blend of students and blend of I think different paths that a lot of people go on which sometimes can you know be frustrating for people that we know are not going to go there for chefs to go in there for other outlets that still all deal with food Um, the one thing I did really enjoy Johnson Wells was going for the four-year program um, getting the bachelor's and learning the you know, more of the business side and, um, some, uh, an opportunity I don't think I would have gotten at any other, uh, university, but that's helped me out greatly.
4: And I know that in a lot of markets, um, chefs are saying that it's hard to find, um, folks to work in the kitchen. Do you think that having Johnson and Wales in Charlotte helps you find people to work here?
3: I think it helps the city as a whole for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think the way that Charlotte's growing, um, the students at johnson wells are not enough to meet the demand i mean you guys drive around and there's apartments building everywhere tons of restaurant openings every month not even you know just the year but there's a there's a huge uh demand for qualified wine cooks in the city as i'm sure there is you know across the country i think the the learning curve is uh becoming a bit shorter the time that people are spinning these wine cook roles is shorter and it's just you know Needing to find more people to you know kind of bring in and help kind of craft the restaurants, but yeah, the university has done wonders for the Charlotte culinary scene for sure.
4: And what what do you envision for trends or movements in the Charlotte food scene in the next five to ten years?
3: I think we're gonna start seeing people get away from some of the comfort items that they're naturally accustomed to. I think we'll start seeing some of the you know, pushing out even more of the chain restaurants. Um, you know, the big national chains. Um, I think some of the steakhouses might lose a little bit of a volume to other, you know, craft steakhouses, as we'll call it. We just had one open down down the street. That's the Charleston um, Steakhouse that I think is going to do great. But I think people are going to start demanding more from us as chefs and restaurants, and making, you know, the things that you had on your menu that were there because they were. Top sellers are probably not going to be there anymore, and I think that's that's all good things. A lot more dining that's going to be uh, focused around what people are where people are getting the food. Um, I think is also going to be huge, and with that, I think it's going to be a better understanding of the cost that goes behind it because it's not a inexpensive endeavor. And in the past, it had been something that turned a lot of people off, and has actually closed a local uh, restaurant here in Charlotte because of the cost that people were, wanted the local food but didn't understand that it it costs more than you know your mass produced.
2: I feel like you also have an opportunity now to reimagine local and comfort food of Charlotte. So, what are some dishes? Say, I was traveling here for the first time. Say, go to this place to have this. And what have you done to kind of iterate on that, improve it?
3: So where would I send you in Charlotte? Well, that, um, of course, yes. It's a good question. Um, I would uh, probably send you down to Oku. They have a a lot of sea urchin on the menu. They got these uni spoons with Toro, which is great. Probably one of the only not only place that's not a direct sushi restaurant serving a lot of uh, uni. I'd send you to Futabuda for a bowl of ramen. Um, such a tough question. Well, it was actually
2: the opposite answers of what I was expecting from you. I, I was actually hoping to know, like, where in Charlotte can you go and get Charlotte food, and what that Charlotte food is, but I think I'm even more fascinated now, the fact that there is sea urchin that, that you'd send somebody to. Yeah, I,
3: I don't know if Charlotte has a defined food, so to speak. It's not like a Charleston or in Atlanta where it has a very long history of you know cuisine. Um, you know, I think we're still definitely finding our own way, and I think that's great. Um, you know, There's definitely chefs doing a whole host of things out there that I think could be considered Charlotte food or have a charlotte restaurant and then there's also places like institutions like prices chicken that's that's charlotte food but you know that they do one thing and they do it they do it well yeah um you know so i think yeah we're still growing trying to find our find our voice is what it is
2: so then what do you hope in that same five to ten year outlook what do you hope to find charlotte cuisine
3: i i hope that uh we can see more menus um or more restaurants with you know smaller menus um you know farm focused food restaurants that are constantly changing not ones that have a you know a year-long menu um places that are going to kind of push the envelope a little bit um and attract people from other parts of north carolina to come here for just dining the way that uh, a charleston or atlanta even even raleigh and asheville in north carolina have done that you know destination food cities i think would be what i'd like to see in the next five ten years
1: well, Chef, that brings us to our rapid-fire round, where we will oh. subject you to a number of short, easy questions. Don't think too hard about them. Um, the first is, what was your last great bite?
3: Last great bite was probably last night's uh, grouper feature. We are testing out our the guy we get our fish from was, I guess, here a full day later than i expected him so we were having to throw it all together kind of last minute but uh, some grouper and a uh some crushed english peas and um a uh kind of a ham nage that was was pretty tasty nice
1: what's in your fridge at home
3: actually a lot of things um now that i I don't live alone i live with my girlfriend um there's actually food and we go home and cook before it was just you know (laughs) going out to eat but there's you know variety of things she'll pick up at the farmer's market and just random Ingredients like I got a bottle of yuzu koshu and some black vinegar and mm-hmm. you know some random stuff that's for a, a one-time use that we also kind of play around with. But yeah, tons of food.
1: Nice. It's
2: rare to hear from a chef.
3: Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was rare for me too. An experience it took you uh, getting used to. I feel uh, like
2: most chefs have fridges that are filled with ingredients that tons of you can condiments. cook with, but nothing that you can eat. Yep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, also like beer and yeah. ketchup. Yeah, <laughs>
3: beer, Staples. maybe half yeah. open. Yeah. Uh, definitely yeah. tons of condiments.
1: <laughs> uh, what was your favorite childhood meal?
3: Childhood meal? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, I'd have to say... That uh, sounds like it was Grandmother's cornbread um, is one that always kind of sticks out. Um, yeah, grandmother's cornbread.
1: Is that something you have a recipe for now that you
3: make? I don't, actually. Yeah. Um, I don't even know where she got her recipe, but it was always enjoyable in big family affairs. Uh, They live out of town, so whenever we, uh, I think the cornbread kind of for me, just was more of the symbolizing of family all together. You know, it was nothing she she made whenever it was just maybe me and my dad going to see her, but, you know, the whole family's in town, grandma's making a big feast, it'd be cornbread. Do
1: you put butter on your cornbread? Yes. Good. (laughs) What's your proudest piece of produce that you have in the restaurant right now?
3: In the restaurant right now, we um, we just got in some uh, red spring onions. Um, maybe not the proudest piece, but they you know they they really look fantastic, and we're actually putting them on this uh, grouper feature as well. And then, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say that's best right now.
1: One last one for you: What's the uh, go-to family meal for the staff here at WP Kitchen?
3: Ooh. Yeah, we, we've got a lot, of, a lot of favorites, so we'll do family meal twice a day, actually, oh, wow. um, for breakfast and for dinner. Um, one uh, favorite for uh, for breakfast is uh, my sous chef, Jason, will make a uh, fennel sausage hash with poached eggs and paprika aioli that has gotten a nod even from uh, Wolfgang's brother who was here last. at you guys put that on the brunch menu. So, yeah, all right. Um, and then uh, we'll do uh, fried chicken as well. Um seems to be a big thing because no one likes breaking down the full case of uh, Springer chickens for the menu item that they'll always kind of throw a couple to the side for fried chicken for family meal. So it works out for everyone.
1: Nice. Um, well, that's it for Rapid Fire. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here at the table today for the interview and for a wonderful lunch. It was Thanks really nice to meet me. you and to see the restaurant. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, you're listening to Heritage Radio Network on tour from Charlotte, North Carolina. To check out the full series, visit heritageradionetwork.org, and we'll see you soon.